Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Christ. This morning we consider the Gospel reading, Jesus' encounter with the Gerasene demoniac, which begins with these words, They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. Our text. Friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, show me the face of evil in our day. And no doubt the usual Hitlerian and Saddam Husseinian suspects will be offered, those certain individuals whose callous and unflinching practices shock and horrify our sensibilities. No generation is without its Nero. But how about another question? Show me, not the face, but show me the hands and the feet of evil. Show me the fingerprints and the footprints of evil, and we'll see that that evil and the devil is just as active and operative today as it was, as he was many days ago in the land of the Gerasenes. It should be noted, first of all, in speaking of the devil, it should be noted that the devil's often not as obviously active and operative as he was in our text. You see, the devil is one for all seasons. In seasons or in ages and times and places, in contexts where the supernatural realm of reality was not dismissed as, as fantasy, but readily and rightly, readily regarded as a fact of life, the devil, devil was far more obvious in his presence and in his power. Yet today, in cultures and contexts, in various parts of the world, which rightly do accept the realm of the supernatural, though probably or perhaps they don't rightly regard that realm, still the devil's operative in the more obvious way in flexing and, and dis- demonstrating his power. In our technologically advanced and, as we like to think of it, far more sophisticated culture and context in our more scientific culture and context, in our, as we love to think of it, more grown-up and mature culture and context, the devil is, of course, not less active, just less apparent in his activity. That's why only a few decades ago, C.S. Lewis, from the, the Western culture of Britain, just a few decades ago, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, a fictional account of letters between two demons, a master demon and his apprentice in temptation. It's in that book that Lewis would express the sentiment the best trick the devil ever pulled off was getting the world to believe that he didn't exist. And so you see, whether through frightening displays of demonic power that would hold people captive in their fear, or through the fostering of an idea that science and self are the grand arbiters of anything that would be real, and so encasing people in an apathy toward the spiritual, Whichever, he's accomplished his goal and aim. Different means, though to the same end, unbelief. Show me, not a face, but the fingerprints and footprints of evil, and I think that you'll see that evil is as operative in life today on our shores as it was in those days on those shores. For consider what we're told. 
We're told that for a long time, this man possessed by demons wore no clothes. In other words, the man had been driven to the point of all indiscretion and indecency that he went about naked. He went about unashamed of his shame. How about us on our shores? Have we in our society become a people unashamed of our shame? Men and women longing for and by lawsuit or common law of land or even without them, longing for and attaining unto orders for family and relationship never established or condoned by the Creator? Have we grown so accustomed to the habit in our culture that we've forgotten that God hates the practice of divorce? In our culture's incessant pursuit of it and ever ready permission to grant and provide it, you know what's even worse than these? It's when the church condones shameful indiscretions. When the church sanctifies them under the misnomer and the, the mislabeled banner of love and inclusiveness. It's when the church grants these the appearance of godliness. Or think of you or me in our lives. Maybe you yourself have, have been there. And if you have, you're not alone. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been in the footsteps of the man naked, driven, driven by temptation or by our sinful, ready compliance so often with it. Driven to the point where we don't even recognize how far we've gone and how we got there. It can happen, can't it? It happened to David. David, a man after God's own heart. But remember what we heard of him last week in the Old Testament reading? He wanted Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. He took her for his own. And then he tried to cover up what he'd done and lie led to lie. Sin to sin, adultery led to murder. And by the time the prophet Nathan confronts David with that parable of the little ewe lamb, David doesn't even recognize that he's the man. It can happen. Has it happened to you? I've no doubt that it's happened to each and every one of us to one degree or another. What else are we told of this man? We're told that he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. He preferred, rather than home life, he preferred to dwell among the tombs in a culture of death. How about us? Is it true of our culture? Has our culture jettisoned a collective value and affirmation on life and against all human rationality and logic chosen the tombs instead? Well, if not, then how do we justify? How do we rationalize? How do we even begin to explain the 49,551,703 individual preborn infants exterminated on our shores legally since 1973. More than eight times the number of those destroyed in Hitler's Holocaust. 
And as a society, we refuse even to, to address the core of the issue. And daily, more of our most senior and ailing citizens are being encouraged and even pressured to, quote, die with dignity as euthanasia becomes increasingly socially acceptable and even medically expected. A culture of death. And while St. Luke reports that the man dwelt among the tombs, in his account, St. Mark adds this, that the man also would cut himself among the young people of our shores. There are many that are so confused in life and tossed about on the waves of uncertainty and driven about by the influences of demonic winds and forces that they too will take up the practice of cutting, self-mutilation, just as this man did. That practice is not at all a bygone thing. Nor is the aim of the devil that just perhaps one might in a moment of weakness, administer to himself the final mortal wound. Don't you see the fingerprints and footprints all over? Neither bygone is the devil's drive toward isolation, because what does Luke record here? He says the man would be driven by the demon into the wilderness, driven into a place of solitude, of aloneness. Alone is the last place that God's people or that any people should be when driven toward despair, when driven toward depression, because you're not alone. The devil would only lead you to think that you're alone as he bombards you with thoughts that he would love for you to entertain. No, rather in those moments, seek Christ, seek the familial company of his people. Take a good look at the man in today's text, and you just might recognize your world therein. A world all over which you'll find the fingerprints and the foot tracks of evil, of the evil one, of sin, where it is, where it's been. Look at the man, and you might even recognize that part of you and me, that darker part. Our sinful nature that scripture says after Christ converts us in water and by his word no longer reigns over us, no longer wholly possesses us, you and me, and yet that part of you and me that still does love the darkness rather than the light, that part of you and me that's glad to comply with the darkness rather than the light, that part of you and me that would just as soon see Christ leave on his way and, and leave us to be where we were. Take a good look at that man. And if you do, I'm certain that you'll notice at least one thing. That Jesus loved that man dearly. He must have loved that man deeply. How can you tell? Well, it seems that Jesus went well out of his way for the sake of him. Even despite his condition in life and all. For you see in Jesus' omniscience, his all-knowingness, Jesus, we can expect, certainly would have or at least could have known that having reached that shore on the other side, remember, of Galilee, where he didn't much travel, 
that having reached that shore, that there would be only one man when all was said and done who would be sad to see him turn around and go quickly on his way. He must have dearly loved that man to go to his shore. Do you think Christ Jesus loves you any less? No matter who you are, who you've been, where you've been, no matter how long or in whatever sin you've been caught, do you think Christ loves you any less? Friends, this church is your shore to which your Christ has sailed to you today for your sake. Have you surprised yourself, surprised even yourself, by your life's indiscretions and, and naked shame? Well, then remember, in baptism, you're clothed. Christ encountered you at water's edge of the font and gave to you to wear the shirt of his holy back. Does temptation, does the tempter assault you? Then consider this. On this shore here today, as it's spoken to you, do you think that the demons shudder any less at his word than they did the day, that day that it was spoken on those shores? Do you think that any might of theirs could hold you when scripture says that Christ came to, and he did, destroy him who possessed the power of death, the devil? Do you think any one or, or all of their legions could accuse you when Scripture says that the handwriting of decrees that stood against you, Christ took out of your way, having nailed it to the cross, and he disarmed them, stripping them of their arms and accusations, and it says, triumphing over them, friends. Having cast your sins and the guilt of them from you and having ordered them, not only given them permission, but ordered them, our sins to possess his body, in which he bore them on the cross, which one of those sins, I ask you, which one, has then not been embodied by him and as the prophet Micah foretold, hurled headlong and cast into the depth of the sea? When you think about Christ on that shore with that man on that day and Christ here on this shore, in this church on this day, friends, has he done any less for you than he did for that man? As the late seminary professor, Dr. Kurt Marquardt, once put it in thinking on the church on our shore here. He said, the church is the beachhead of heaven on earth, conquering darkness with the life-giving weapons of light, distributing and celebrating the supernatural saving riches of God. Makes you want to stay here, doesn't it? You'd almost want to stay here and remain sitting at the feet of Jesus, as it were, hearing his words, feeling his nearness, as we do here in his word, in his sacramental presence in the supper, being reassured by his word that he's driven your sins as far from you as east is from west. You'd long to stay. But Jesus says to you what he said to that newly ordered man on those garrison shores. Return to your home. 
Mark adds that Jesus said, return to your home and to your friends. And there declare how much God has done for you. There will be many who, like the Gerasene natives, many who will be plenty pleased simply to have Jesus go and go quickly on his way so that their lives won't be reordered, they, they won't be upset. No, they prefer them just the way they are without Christ. Pray for them. Pray for them, for they know not what they say nor what they do. Pray for them. Pray that in God's good time, Christ, by the wind of his Holy Spirit, aboard the boat of his church, through the word of his living voice, Pray that Christ will reach their shore too. In his name, amen.